Hey Enneagram friends, I'm Abby, an IEA accredited Enneagram teacher and certified somatic practitioner. My work has always been an invitation for greater self-awareness and really a compassionate curiosity for the world. And I offer that invitation through corporate Enneagram workshops, private coaching, and educational resources like this podcast. In this season of the podcast, I'm inviting fellow Enneagram teachers, authors, and practitioners into the podcast space to share with you about personal growth all through the lens of their personal type structure. And so today, I have the gift of welcoming Kim Eddy onto the podcast to explore type one. So let me share with you just a little bit about Kim before I invite you into our conversation together. So Kim is an Enneagram coach and an author of the book, Enneagram for Beginners, a Christian guide to understanding your type for God-centered life. Her passion is really to create safe spaces for people to explore self-awareness in alignment with their faith and to deepen their empathy, understanding, and connection with themselves and others. In our conversation, Kim offers a wealth of knowledge about the type one structure and uh, the growth path in that structure, but I specifically appreciated her language and articulation of uh, the dualism that shows up in the type one structure and trying to create more space for gray and the other options between bad and good um, that come up in everyday decision-making or conversations. Um, And she articulated it beautifully. So I want to invite you to listen in with curiosity and compassion, whether you lead with type one or you're in relationship with type ones. Okay. Well, thank you for being here, Kim, and joining me this Enneagram space together. And really my hope as we um, delve into your specific type structure is this invitation for us to um, get to learn from an expert opinion, not just as an Enneagram practitioner, but because you lead with type one. Um, So thank you for being in this uh, Enneagram space with me. Thank you, Abby. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, you know, we can obviously talk through lots of different facets, but I would love to specifically explore um, growth and and what that's looked like for you as a person and your experience as a type one. Obviously, many type ones are going to have lots of different experiences, Um, but I think there's this real gift in getting to hear uh, that, that experience as a firsthand account, because we learn a lot, you know, I'm coming from the narrative tradition. And so we learn a lot, um, hearing people's stories, but also because you have, um, a unique experience being an Enneagram teacher and author and being able to articulate that with even more depth and capacity than, um, maybe the average Joe that's an Enneagram one, one would be able to. Um, so I, you know, just kind of starting our conversation, I would love to know, you know, how did you, find your number? Did it land and hit you like a ton of bricks right away? Or did it take some time? Did you bounce around? What was that process like for you finding um, your type? Yeah. So I found the Enneagram as someone who was desperate. Like I was looking for a way to explain myself in a counseling situation with my then husband. And I was just finding that nothing seemed to be getting across. Um, I wasn't being heard or understood. And I was like, something isn't, something is not happening. That has to be happening. (laughs) Um, And so I went to Google and I wish that I could remember what, what I typed in. I don't remember what I typed in. I was probably like crying while I was typing (laughs) and uh, somebody somebody help. (laughs) And uh, what came up was Enneagram Institute.com. 
And it was the page that had kind of a general paragraph for each type. And I read that and I immediately clicked on the type one. I was like, give me more information. And I read that page, you know, I'm sure you've been there to Instagram And, uh, I spent a couple of hours in there on that website. And for me, it really was, uh, being hit with a ton of bricks. Like I read the description and I was like, this is my experience. This is how I'm viewing the world. This is where I'm coming from. And I felt so simultaneously validated and angry (laughs) (laughs) Um, because of what I was seeing there and some things I quickly came, you know, face to face with about myself and, uh, and, but, but it was such a healing experience for me personally to be able to find something that explained the why and gave me language around the why, Mm -hmm. um, for the people who would hear it. And that was an incredibly healing experience for me. So that's how I came to find the Enneagram and immediately became kind of obsessed with it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. As, as is the start for many of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious if, if you rewind back to those early days, um, what were the pieces about type one that, that felt very, um, you know, like it felt like a moment of solidarity of like, this is me. And I know this is my type. What were those? Like, sometimes people say it's like, oh, this was the tipping point, or this was the part that, that felt like, you know, someone was reading my journal. This, this is definitely me. Right. Uh, for me, it was that desiring honesty, like holding honesty and kind of integrity with what you believe to be right as that, that standard by which to live. And, and also the standard by which we judge other people. Um, and so that, uh, that for me was probably it like being upright walking in the way we believe to be right, um, doing the hard thing, imposing self-control on us almost as if, well, everybody should be imposing the same self-control on them. You know, (laughs) I'm clenching my jaw and shoulders all day. Why aren't you? Um, and, and feeling like, well, that's the way life should be. That's the way everybody should be. And, um, I have grown from that perspective, but seeing that on the page, like, oh, when you kind of are just living from your motivations, this is how you're going to think life should be lived by everybody. (laughs) And so you're going to move through life and show up in those ways. Um, so that really was, you know, hitting the dart right in the middle for me. Mm -hmm. I thought was like, that's it. That's who I, who I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So thinking about some of those earlier, you know, moments, or maybe even in that first year of, of discerning your Enneagram type and kind of landing on one, I'm curious if there were, um, maybe growing edges that really resonated of like, okay, here is now, here's the piece, right? Of like, I see it now. And this is something I I'm noticing in this relationship, or this is what I want to be intentional about integrating and and moving through in a more balanced way. What were some of those early on growing edges? Definitely the right, wrong thinking, the, the two ways, there's only two ways this could go. And only one of them is right. Mm -hmm. Um, that has been my 
sharpest growth edge (laughs) to, to kind of round off and soften. Um, I've experienced so much growth in that area. Like it it's, there's still work to do. There's still work to do. There always is, I think, but, um, being able to allow different perspectives while maintaining and holding safe boundaries and being able to allow nuance in myself and other people and make space, make intentional space for that and living in the gray Mm -hmm. instead of just black and white and finding, uh, fulfillment and presence and grace in that gray. Uh, whereas before that would have felt very unsafe. And Mm -hmm. so I would, you know, like a light switch just, okay, well, we're just going to choose one side of the line and stay on that side of the line instead of, no, there's more, there's more to this. And I can be safe in the fact that there's more to this has been so such a journey for me. I think that has, and continues to be where I'm seeing the most growth because that touches every area, every relationship that I have, when I allow there to be nuance, there can also be beauty. And Mm -hmm. so really just getting growing into (laughs) the nuance of life and allowing it to be, to exist for me. Yeah, for sure. So as you like think through that experience, and I know that it's it's always unfolding and it's always evolving. Right. Um, but were there specific, especially in those earlier years, were there specific practices, or was it a mentality? Was it a you know a question that you asked yourself? Was there some kind of check in? You know, what were some of the like practical pieces that helped you shift your mindset into feeling like more um, comfortable in the nuance, or even more compassionate to the nuance in the gray area? Uh, definitely using questions to evoke kind of curiosity in myself, mm-hmm. because as a type one, I have this gut reaction and I tend to lead with, well, this is the right thing to do. And I'm going to support that with all of my reasons that I can think of. Um, and that thinking tends to feel like statements and feel like definitive statements. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was asking myself questions. Mm -hmm. Are there more ways to look at that? Like what, where could they be coming from? What could be their reasons that they feel right? Um, What could be their reasons that they think this is the best way forward? What are the things that are making me feel like I only have one choice? Um, and just starting to look at the different pieces and see that they fit together differently, depending on where you're looking at them from. Um, so definitely developing a practice of curiosity through, and I sometimes did it through journaling. It kind of sort of became a little less, uh, practiced and a little more natural over time. Um, I still have to remind myself or I get reminded by, you know, a friend in my support circle saying, Hey, wait a second, (laughs) you're being (laughs) a little bit rigid. Like, um, you're freaking out what's going on. And then like, Oh, I'm not being curious. Okay. Let's be curious. Um, so, so really just asking myself and making room for a different answer than what I landed on first. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Um, 
you know, even that language that you use this practice of curiosity, you know, when I um, like teaching groups and whether it's a corporate setting or a personal setting, that's, it's always uh, this opening statement of like my invitation is just to be a bit more curious than you were before. Um, and it's incredible how much just, you know, there's no shame attached to curiosity and there's no exactly. like guilt trip or like, it's not this, okay, go be humble. That will make everything better. It's the sense of like, no, we're just trying to have a little bit more like childlike wonder and curiosity and awe about things around us. Um, and just how much that softens things, no matter what your type structure is to be able to actually lean in with the conversation. Um, yeah. And even what you said of, you know, it, it shifted from the sense of like, my thought process is statements and then i'm trying to invite in more questions um that language is really helpful yeah yeah it it is amazing to see how your thinking does kind of change when you're intentional about introducing a new way um to see things and you, yeah. you kind of build that muscle so yeah. yeah that has been very again just part of my healing journey that i'm so grateful for. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I wonder thinking, you know, again, back to some of these earlier years of first discerning your type, um, were there any parts that you read or learned about that, um, didn't land for you in the type one structure? Maybe they never landed or, or maybe they landed later when a new season came up, um, whether that was switching in roles or responsibilities, were there any of those nuances to the, to the type one structure? Yeah. So when, uh, when I found the Enneagram, I was starting to walk through one of my hardest seasons of life as far as circumstances go. And, um, and so I found that some of the, you can say stereotypically, but statistically likely ways that a type one might show up, like, um, having everything organized and, um, having lists that they actually check off and go back to, um, I found that I was in a place in my life where everything was so frantic. And like, there was just this hurricane going on around me personally, that I was often very stressed very overwhelmed. Like I was disintegrating like crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I found that I wasn't showing up or feeling safe to show up even in some of the unhealthy type one ways. Like I was often in my type four and I was often, um, emotionally reacting and I was often emoting and losing my self-control. And so, um, when, when it comes to how I'm expressing myself and so that didn't feel quite right to me at first, but even as I was going through it, I could see how, oh, well, it feels like it's me, but it's not how I am currently. Yeah. And so there was this feeling of, mm, I know I'm a type one, but what, what's not lining up. And so it was just looking into it deeper. And then also therapy and then also removing myself from some of the circumstances I was in so that the hurricane around me could quiet. And then I was like, Oh, um, I'm getting some of that back. Uh, but I'm not, I, I don't feel compelled to have lists. That's one yeah. thing I like them, but I also 
life gets hectic and I forget them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, well, but yeah, that's one of the things. Yeah. What I, and I think, um, I might be remembering this wrong, but, um, your dominant subtype is one-to-one, correct? Um, I'm kind of, uh, self-preservation one-to-one. Self-preservation yeah. and one-to-one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cause I was going to say, I feel like a lot of, um, the, the, um, one-to-one or sexual one, depending on the language that, that your school of thought uses. Um, sometimes the stereotypical, like everything is nice and tidy just doesn't fit so much. Cause it's more of the right. like passionate, you know, zealous one, not so much the like neat and tidy one. Um, and right. so some of those things may never fully catch up with you because you know, yeah. Yeah. Your, and I think your subtype. Yeah. And I think because it was, it was often my one-to-one relationship that was in turmoil. I found myself leading from there at that time, I think, um, or it just felt, it it felt that way. Um, now I'm getting back into, I, I, I do like to have control over my environment. And when, when I start to feel stress, I go clean. (laughs) So those things do line up. Um, I, I like an organized house, minimalist home. Um, but you know, raising two kids, it's still a little bit like miniature hurricanes that are, that aren't, aren't with the same emotional turmoil, but (laughs) (laughs) still keep the list from being a little bit difficult. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love that. Um, the mini hurricanes that our children create, that's a pretty good description Mm -hmm. too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, how did this work as an Enneagram teacher and an author? How did this work find you? Um, well, I was doing a little bit of help in a church that I was attending at the time and kind of doing some coaching around the ministries and things there, helping people. And, um, I found the Enneagram, found a lot of help with that. And I was like, oh, this actually gives more than what I'm doing, you know, as far as the ability to bring the self-awareness and to find the growth that we're, that we're looking for. Um, so, so I went to work to incorporate that into what I was already doing, um, a little bit. So, and that, that's kind of how it grew into, into something. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So are you still tied to a worshiping community with your work or are you independent outside of that now? Um, I, moved away from there. Mm-hmm. I, and just as an aside, when we talk about, you know, introducing the nuance and allowing there to be gray, I found myself also on kind of a rediscovering faith journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not consider myself fully aligned with where I was before. Um, I would to some people be radically different to me, it doesn't feel radical. It feels more like allowing the nuance and seeing the gray and uh, maybe thinking that some of the aspects of faith that I thought were absolute are more complicated and bigger than I thought they were and finding the beauty in that. So that's kind of where I've been at. Um, so, so I'm in the process of figuring out what that looks like for me, as far as community goes and finding a place that's safe for the nuance. If I don't know if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. Um, you know, the, um, I think whether it is with myself and the people that I interact with in relationship or even in, in the people I coach, I'm sure you experience this as well. There's almost this sense of like trying to learn how to like 
re-enter back into our reality with the new yeah. awareness that we have. And so sometimes that is like reteaching people our how we want to be treated now with new boundaries because we didn't have them before, right? Or it's explaining things that, um, you know, are our values and beliefs that are different than before. Um, but it's almost, you know, the setting may now have changed. We're just trying to like re-back, re-enter back into something even though um, we're the same, but we're not the same anymore. Right. So it sounds like some yeah. of that happening. No, absolutely. And I know that there's a lot of people going through kind of the same thing that I'm going through. Um, we're kind of often coming from some of the same places, even though our destinations are going to be very different, or there's going to be a lot of difference in the destinations where, where people land. Um, but I found it to be a deepening of my faith, even though it has changed. Um, so, so again, it's just been a very healing journey for me, but like you said, finding a community that makes room for that, even if there isn't full alignment in everything, um, is, is a journey. It's definitely a journey. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think even the, the language of like, and it's a journey, not like we have arrived and we figured it out. Um, you know, even as I've continued to have conversations with practitioners and getting to sit in this space, um, I'm, I'm consistently struck by the reality that everyone is still on a journey, right? You know, like, yes, you have an expertise and you have a skill set and you have a, an ability to, to meet with someone in their journey and, and what's going on with them, but you're still on your own journey, right? And we, we bump into people at very different spaces in that, um, in that journey and, and, you know, just being, uh, curious about that and also compassionate if we bump into someone at their, at a very early part of their journey, um, cause might come back around and bump into them in another season and, and be able to walk in tandem for a while. So, um, yeah. anyways, just, just struck by that too. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the things that I have, you know, so we have not gotten to share a, a space together. I feel like I've, I've, you know, seen your social media and, and some of our worlds are a little bit different. I think, um, I was certified through the narrative Enneagram. And so sometimes I feel like we like occupy this like world where we kind of revolve around each other and bump <laughs> into each other a lot. Um, and then we have to remind ourselves like there's a whole other Enneagram world out there. Um, but I, I'd love to hear, um, how the combination, you know, the Christian Enneagram being part of, uh, that, that facet and that framework for you. Um, what, what that process was like, com- you know, combining the two, have they always been combined for you? Is there, um, something that felt like very compelling or that led you into, uh, making sure that your faith was a very prominent part of your work? Just, I'd love to hear more about that piece too. Yeah. Yeah. So I always had this thought, um, and at first, like I said, it started out absolute and with very rigid rules around what that looks like. And it has since grown, but, um, I, I have always thought that our faith journey is very closely tied to our self-awareness journey. Um, and they both impact each other and they both have influence on the other. And so for me, when I was thinking about how to help people gain self-awareness, I wanted to provide a space that felt safe for us to explore how that impacts our faith journey. Um, because how we answer life's big questions, no matter how you answer them, tells us, gives us a framework for how we fit into the universe. And so any self-awareness that we gain about ourselves is going to be informed by 
those big answers to those big questions that we all have, you know, Mm -hmm. who am I, where do I come from? Why am I here? What comes next? And, um, so, so having a two sides of the coin where there's the self-awareness that shows us why we are, um, why we're showing up the way we do because of what has happened to us in life or our wiring or combination of the two and, um, how we might take that self-awareness and make choices around our spirituality or how our faith informs us that growth happens. Um, marrying the two together has always kind of felt made sense to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so giving people a space to gain self-awareness with, with some understanding that, oh, we're coming from some of the same assumptions about how we answer life's big questions. And so some of that work is already done, (laughs) um, not as far as self-awareness, but as far as, uh, the identity that we're starting with. Um, Mm -hmm. as far as how we fit into this universe, how we fit into this world. Um, and so, and so that's kind of why I took that dual approach of spirituality plus Enneagram. And I know they're very different and they have different purposes, but I do think that they influence each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they do, you know, it's so funny. I, I will bump into people that have, um, almost like the, you know, combined these two worlds. And then once you combine them, you realize like, but you can't separate them either. Right? Like it's hard to have faith without self-awareness and, you know, you could use another tool. It doesn't have to be the Enneagram. Um, but I think, you know, these, these different places, you know, for me with somatic integration, it, it feels really hard to separate the two now that I've combined them. Um, and so it's interesting, even just hearing you talk through that, you know, and I, I think in my own personal experience have, um, I resonate so deeply with, with some of those pieces that you've shared, um, even just being, you know, in simple volunteer spaces as like a Sunday school leader, um, and, and realizing there are, um, there's so many spaces along the journey where what is causing so much unrest, um, and, and, you know, people might use the language of like the separation from God, right? This unrest of like this loss of identity of like, I feel like I'm wandering in the desert. So many of those moments are often these spaces where our Enneagram type is, um, playing God for us, right? Like we're trying to meet our own needs without there being like divine. Um, or it's our type structure tripping us up in this process of trying to be in community or, or be, um, you know, uh, at peace. And so I think it is, uh, it is hard to to fully integrate some of these aspects of your faith when you just have so little self-awareness yeah. because like you didn't no one gave you the right tools or the right language to even unpack it um and so you're yes. you know you're following the advice that your brother is doing or your so-and-so is doing and um and you need some like individual awareness and you just haven't found a tool yet and so i love that that's that's part of the work that you're doing Yeah. Yeah. One of my, and you're going to get me on a soapbox if you're not careful, but, (laughs) um, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that often we're given kind of this homogenized advice, um, of the basic spiritual practices without any nuance or a look at how, well, this might be different for you based on how you process things. And this might be different for you. And, um, it, it, it's so easy to give easy advice, pray more, (laughs) read the scriptures more. And, um, that 
it, it doesn't help if we don't know how we're approaching those things, how we're experiencing those things and where the disconnect might be. Like you said, whether it's through those things or, or with disconnect with our community or um, feeling overloaded, overwhelmed in very practical ways, which affects our spirituality and our ability to find peace. Um, and I, I, I just 100% agree without, without understanding who we are and how we are and how we're showing up and how the others are impacting us. It's, it's very difficult to, to have a full fulfilling spiritual, um, existence as well. So, so I think no matter what somebody's faith is, (laughs) if they belong to a faith community, then I do think that using the Enneagram or something that gives us an awareness of who we are in that space individually and how we're different and unique and beautiful, um, allows those that, that spirituality to exist on a more fundamental level, I think. Um, because I, I do think we're all unique and beautiful and nuanced. And that's part of the beauty of it. And we shouldn't try and take that away. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love that. In in this season, you know, as a practitioner, as a teacher, um, and also as a, you know, mom of little ones, little humans, um, what are some of the things that you do as practices or rhythms or rituals, if you will, um, but some of the things that you do whether that is to support balance and growth, or maybe it's just to support um, care and, and there being an ability to keep keep doing this work. What are some of those like tangible practices? I have stopped, well, I've tried to stop justifying joy and mm-hmm. like needing a reason, needing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and one thing that I don't think it made me a type one, uh, but because I was a type one, I think it stuck with me and became ingrained, but I was always taught responsibility before recreation. Alliteration was a big thing in in my house growing up. And, um, (laughs) I, you know, I just always believed that. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. We should do what we should do before we do what we want to do and always. And if there's something more on the responsibility list to bad. Um, and I probably took that way, way further than was intended when I was taught (laughs) that. But, um, for me, not having to justify joy in my life, not having to justify just sitting down and building Legos with my kids, you know, not having to feel like I've accomplished enough or did enough to be a good mom in order to, enjoy it a little bit has been, um, a journey. It's tough. It's a tough journey for me, but it's, it's one that I've started to try to incorporate a little bit more, um, and be intentional with that. And then like, you know, we we talked about curiosity, like being curious, why I feel like what is pressuring me to not enjoy this moment. And mm-hmm. what could that look like to, to let go of that pressure? Um, so, so that's, that's one thing that I found as a, as a helpful practice lately. And then, um, prioritizing my fulfillment and my happiness 
um, as a part of everybody else's, you know, I think sometimes type ones will take on the responsibility and feel justified in the resentment because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so encouraging, like it's in my house, it's me and my kids. And so without parentifying them, what does it look like to be a team in this house? What does it look like to, uh, work together in ways that are appropriate for their development? And, um, and not feel like I have to be everything for everybody all of the time (laughs) and, and help them, uh, develop into that partnership and cooperation, um, of, of working together in, in a household or being together, living together in a household. So those are things I'm working on now. Um, baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and it's always right. As, as soon mm-hmm. as you feel like you have balanced out some element of reactivity, then there's a new transition or a new person that comes in your life or whatever it is. And it's like, it's just the same old thing over again. It just has a little bit of a different flavor because it's yeah. a different person or a different role or whatever that's coming your way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you think about some of the, um, you know, the, the, the sentiment of, um, you know, justifying joy or um, feeling guilty in moments when there is more things to be done, there's more responsibility to be had. Um, I often hear one say that they feel like that is very uh, propelled by the inner critic, that that's, almost, that's often what is fueling that. Whereas I hear others say that it feels like n- more of a just instinctual reaction. Like they don't feel like there's a lot of shoulds or oughts around it. It just, it just feels like the right thing to do. And, and so I'm curious how that lands for you. Yeah. So, um, I have, it's been hard for me to kind of quantify and put my inner critic experience into words. Um, because for me, it feels very outside of me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also know I'm the one doing that to myself, (laughs) you know, when I look at it from the outside and like, nobody else is doing that to me. Uh, nobody else is making me feel all of this pressure. In fact, all of the people who love me around me often tell me to take it easier, you know? (laughs) Um, but then my reaction is, but who's going to do it? And their, and their reaction is, does it need doing? Mm -hmm. And my reaction is, (laughs) of course it does. Can't you see? Um, and so, so that really is coming from inside of me. And I would agree that I'm not sure I hear shoulds a lot, but Mm -hmm. I definitely hear a lot of have tos. Um, but I also know I'm the one saying the have tos, I have to do these things. Um, so, so I would, I would be probably land on the side where it feels like a compulsion to do what I think is right. Um, because I have to, Mm -hmm. but not because I should, if that makes any sense, like, of course I should, I have to do those things. Like should doesn't even come into it. It's just a given that I'm going to do these things. Um, when I, when I really don't have to, I can, I can let them be and not pick that up, but it feels very compulsory to pick that up and then resent the fact that I'm holding it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's probably my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now in the moment, you know, when you have more awareness around this happening, um, how, 
what is the, maybe it's the dialogue, maybe it's the question you're asking yourself, maybe there's a practice of taking a breath, I don't know. But what is it that helps you realize like, I have the list of expectations or that I have tos and I'm choosing to let them be for a moment while I go do this, knowing I'll come back where I'm choosing to delegate that or to let it go simply. Um, what, what allows you to actually pause and to let it go or to move it to another time frame? Um, that's hit or miss. Like what, what helps me feel better about it emotionally or what helps me take the action to leave it? Cause yeah. I think those are two different things. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's, let's explore both. Um, so, so that first piece of like the emotion around of like helping you let it be. Um, that's probably the hardest one for me because I find myself ruminating on it. I find myself thinking of that's when the should haves come in. Like I should have done it then, or I should have, uh, you know, thinking about it after the fact, you know, after I chose and what, what helps me emotionally is probably the breath and the pause, um, and reminding myself this, I, this wasn't mine Mm -hmm. and I chose not to pick it up Mm -hmm. or, you know, I picked this up not realizing that I didn't have to carry it. So I put it down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so finding uh, often for me, finding an outlet that is different, um, or fulfilling or releases the pressure valve a little bit, you know, if it's that kind of emotions, like the big feelings, um, Mm -hmm. has been helpful for me to let go of that. Um, often for me, it's not necessarily a task or an expectation. It's, uh, as far as things that I'm doing or should do, um, it's often tension in a relationship Mm. or a conversation I should have had, or, um, that I'm not getting across to somebody. And I have to set a boundary to no longer push to have my perspective heard. I have to like be okay being misunderstood or be okay feeling like somebody thinks I did the wrong thing. Um, and so that's often where I have that emotional reaction and the emotion is pushing me to do something that I know that's not mine. That won't help. (laughs) Like I can be okay with somebody else's opinion of me when, Mm. when It's not how I would want it to be. Um, And as far as like taking things off of my list or declining to put them on my list. And um, I have gotten better at that. You know, Um, it's for that comes from curiosity. I think, is Mm -hmm. this actually mine? (laughs) Um, Am I just being dutiful right now? Am I just saying, okay, or am I just doing the thing that is in front of me, even though maybe it's somebody else's job and they will get to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to resent the fact that they're on a different timetable than I am with this, whatever it is. Um, I can not resent that they're on a different schedule than me. And now I'm seeing it before it's done and immediately having a reaction to that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to see it before it's done. Like for example, I don't know, messy dishes or whatever. I'm allowed to see that it hasn't been done yet and not pick it up when it's not mine. I can just leave that there. Is that really mine, uh, to do or to take on has been a helpful, helpful question for me. But like I said, it is, it is such a journey (laughs) 
to become, to, to find emotional rest when, when we are working intentionally growing past the things we feel compulsory that are Mm -hmm. the things we feel are compulsory for us to do. Um, it's, it's a very interesting experience. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. To allow yourself to feel turmoil and still not do the thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes it feels like when, you know, we do the quote unquote right thing of like not reacting or not picking up the extra thing or taking on the responsibility that it should just feel good. Like that that will be our reward that it feels good. And the reality is your type structure is freaking out because you're not doing the things that it's taught you to do to keep you safe and get your needs met and survive. Um, And so it doesn't feel good, right? (laughs) It doesn't Um, feel good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And especially if there's an emotion that's coming with that too of like now your type structure is not so rigid. So it's actually flooding in and you realize is like, I'm really hurt or I'm really sad or I'm furious, right? Um, that emotion and the out of control nature that emotion often causes, whether you're one or not, um, that also doesn't feel very good until we learn to process it and kind of metabolize that emotion. So it doesn't just, you know, for ones like sit in your jawline and in yeah. your, the tightness mm-hmm. in your shoulders. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a big journey and, um, you've named some extremely helpful pieces of that too, of like just approaching it with curiosity. You know, sometimes we say even like mantras, um, but a question can be a mantra that you ask yourself, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That you like tether yourself back to the present moment of like, this isn't mine and that's okay because someone else, this might be theirs or it might be no one's cause this doesn't matter and I can let it go. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if this decoration happens or if this, you know, extra piece gets added on. Um, it's okay to be as it is and, and no, the world will keep turning and this, this event will keep happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you named some beautiful pieces in there too. Um, well, um, I know that we could talk endlessly, um, but I I want to make sure that we give just a, some time for um, for you to share a little bit about your work and really how people can be involved in your work or connected to or participate in your work um, and just you know your your slice of the Enneagram world. Um, if you'd share just a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So I tend to hang out the most on Instagram. So people, that's usually where people find me. That's a very accessible place to be. Um, and everything on there is obviously free. So people can get to know me a little bit and, uh, I'm trying to be more present there. That's one of the areas, you know, shoulds or have tos. I don't know, but I, I love to be there. Um, so you, people can find me at Christian Enneagram.coach there on Instagram. Um, and that has kind of links to everything. There is a book that people can, um, it is very geared toward the Christian faith. So be warned, you will, you will hear all of those things. Um, but it, it is very accessible for Christians who are new to the Enneagram, especially, or are nervous about it. Um, that was kind of the goal was for me was, Hey, we don't have to be nervous about this. Like we can, <laughs> we can dip our toes in there and it's safe and you're fine. Um, and so, and so that book is, is a very accessible place to start as well. Um, and then we recently started something called Christian Enneagram university and me and my team are building courses and having fun things for alumni there. Again, just kind of a a safe space for us to explore what the Enneagram can look like when we share at least some of the same 
many of the same faith elements, you know, with safety to be very different. Um, and I'm trying to incorporate just a lot of safety for nuance and, and the ability to have different perspectives. Um, even though some of the big questions we're answering in similar ways. And so that's what uh, the university is all about. So they can check out everything there. Um, I'd love to DM with anyone who, who has questions. I, I really enjoy the questions and the conversations. So that's where people can find me. Okay, awesome. And I will, of course, put all the links to everything in the show notes to make it easy for everyone to find you. Um, so thank, thank you for you. sharing. Yeah. Well, um, again, it's such a gift to get to be in an Enneagram conversation with you for our paths to, to collide and cross over, even if just for a little bit of time. <laughs> um, and so thank you for taking the time to share um, not just about your work, but also your personal experience and talk through some of those aspects. Uh, I know that all of the ones that are listening, but then also all of the people that are connected to and working in tandem with and in relationship with ones. Um, it's really valuable too. So thank you for sharing your story and, and your experience. Oh, Abby, thank you for giving me a space to kind of share a little bit of my own experience. It's been, it's been such a fun conversation. I'm so glad. Hey, Enneagram friends. Thanks for listening in to my conversation with Kim Eddy. And I hope that you are taking away a wealth of wisdom that she offers us about the type one structure. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so that you could hear the rest of the episodes this season? That's a great way to share this resource and, and to grow the community and the conversations around the Enneagram. Okay, friends, until next time.